welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, episode number six, Growing Up. Well, good morning, good day, good night. Howdy doody, how are you? Uh, this is the, I think this is a sixth uh, episode. Episode of, six. Of the journey of integral recovery. And it's something that uh, hopefully we're all on together. And by the way, this stuff, whether you're a drug addict or alcoholic or not, everything we're saying here applies just about every human being on the planet. Because we're all, I don't know if we're all addicts, but we all suffer. And we all you know, miss the mark a lot and maybe don't become the best, the best version of who, who we are. And intracore recovery is all about, yeah, number one, stop drinking. Okay. Stop killing yourself or, or using whatever these things are. And from there, it, it emerges into a lifetime journey of self-realization and actualization. It's very cool, very inspiring. And uh, uh, it's just, it's just the story that we need to be telling all of us in our lives right now. So um Today, well, last time we talked about the process of waking up, and before we got rolling, uh, Doug was saying uh, something pretty insightful, and yeah. and maybe we'll start with what you were going to talk about, referring to the last program. Sure. Uh, well, this week's tidbit here, instead of doing a quote or something like that, wanted to give you a uh, practice instruction, a thing that had occurred to me, which is that we all talked about waking up last time, like it's... Uh, something that's easy and natural. And a lot of people in our audience are familiar with meditation. A lot of people, it's a brand new practice and something that can be incredibly frustrating if you're worried about doing it wrong or if you're not used to it. And the most important thing to do is to keep with it. Don't expect that, especially with something that's incredibly challenging, like mindfulness, where monks would sit for years and years, eight hours a day or more in monasteries trying to reach these states, don't expect for everything to click immediately and that you will get it. But there will be moments during your time in formal practice that will translate later into your day where you realize that, hey, my mind was wandering. And rather than chastising yourself for having a wandering mind, appreciate that moment of realization and say, I remembered I did a thing because meditation is the practice of remembering over and over again, of bringing your attention back again and again and again, and never expecting perfection. As they say in recovery, it's progress, not perfection. And meditation is certainly a, an example of that. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and, and, and you know, with the, with the, the, the brain entrainment, a technology, you'll get there faster. And usually you can feel it's going on. So it'll really help you to stick with it. Doing just an unassisted meditation by yourself is virtually impossible. Very few people in the world can pull it off. Uh, Ken Wilber said he meditated like two hours a day for five years before he started feeling any effects. Well, the, uh, I, 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 I would say, which is so bloody heroic. But anyway, I, I think you'll start feeling this. But you also have to realize when you're a beginner, you're going to suck. I mean, you know, you're just not going to be good at any new, uh, any new skill or any new quality that you want to to increase or or work on. So be willing, you know, if you if you've never spoken German, you're not going to get off the plane in good old Deutschland and just start rapping the Deutsch. You know, it ain't going to happen. It's it's a I mean, 
uh, you speak some German. I speak German, pretty good German also. And the grammar is just unbelievably difficult. <laughs> but anyway, so you, you have to start off with uh, Guten Tag, you know, and, 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 and work on from there. And it's an absolutely honorable, cool thing to be a beginner and not very good. And uh, there's a f- story of Father Keating, who I've hung out with at his monastery uh, near Bill, uh, Aspen, Colorado, where I go sometimes for retreats. And he had a story when he, he, he brought back the centering meditation or centering prayer back into uh, to the Catholic laity and everybody else. And it, it's an esoteric, it's, it's, it's a contemplative practice. And a lot of our churches, Protestant or Catholic, just lost any kind of interior practice. It's a bunch of exterior stuff. Well, no wonder it's so boring, you know, or not satisfying. Uh, not all churches, I'm sure uh, there are. Sorry about that if I offend anybody. But anyway, um, he's, he was doing this practice and, you, and where you focus on the heart. And generally, it's 20 minutes. And he's doing this bunch of nuns and priests. And this one nun said, you know, guy was horrible. My mind wandered a thousand times. And he said, isn't that wonderful? A thousand times to return to God, mm. which is, you know, a beautiful frame. So in, in the practice, even if you're like Tom Brady, he won the Super Bowl. He's a Trump supporter. How did that happen? God, you know, it's like you get off on one of these tangents, you know, come back and, and it's the return, the return, the return. That's actually like, you know, the muscles I work at, you know, pumping the, you know, the, the weights or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, there's, so. Something, there's something, you know, uh, there's something in the big book, uh, you know, when you, when you read about Bill W's spiritual conversion, that was so uh, such a shaft of light kind of experience is that if you set that as your own template, if I'm if I'm an addict early in recovery, and that's and that's the expectation, or maybe even the requirement that I put on myself, you think of all the problems that come with that. And I was thinking of how in the Zen tradition, um, there are two different major traditions within Zen. One is referred to as Rinzai, which translates as sudden, and the other one is Soto, which translates as gradual. And some people's path is sudden. I think Bill W's path was a sudden path, and and it's a wonderful thing. But for the rest of us mere mortals, it may be that there's a gradual path. And what's cool about the Zen traditions is that they end up in the same place at the same time. They just have different entry points into it. And and I think for a lot of us to have grace for our gradualness. You know, and it can be a mixture of both. It can be soda, 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 rinse, bam, soda, soda, soda. And, you know, and with, with Bill, I think oftentimes initiators of things, you know, the grace of the universe gives them a real blast, you know, yes. blam, you know, yeah. just so that, woo, so they, you know, they have some energy. Yes. It's all along, you know, they yeah. met Dr. Bob and he really yeah. needed a lot of grace just to get through that early thing, you know, and I got a pretty big blast too. And it you was because, you did, yeah, because God knows I needed it, you know, and uh, so, so. It's all, you know, and it's in higher power. It's in your own. As we, as we deepen the practice, we find that there is, you know, the practice begins to inform us and we get what we really need. And that's, that should be our prayer. You know, please give me what I need. Show me what I need to know, what I need to do, or whatever else that thing is, and just surrender into that. And be willing to be a beginner. And it's just showing up, sticking on the damn headphones and turning on and be day after day after day. And I promise you, after 40 days, like Rumi said, uh, you know, you're going to notice a shift. And it's, 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 and that's what's nice about the, the new technologies and the I Awake stuff is that it's, it's encouraging because you can actually begin to feel a real difference, not just on the cushion, as you were saying, Doug, but off the cushion in, in a few days. 
Yeah, and for those of us taking a more shit, gradual yeah. path, the brainwave entrainment has just been an absolute godsend. I mean, just brilliant. So, by the way, uh, if you haven't yet, go to integralrecoveryinstitute.com, get your starter kit, get, get signed up, and you'll get a free iAwake brainwave entrainment track there, which is perfect awesome. to use when you're starting your meditation practice. Yeah, and maybe maybe as we develop this thing, you know, we'll start having meditation groups where we can come online and and meditate together, you know, and I have a friend, uh, Todd Jason has a thing called the Amplifield where we all get and meditate together. Anyway, so maybe we'll start building that as we roll. But today we wanted to talk about growing up. And yeah. basically that means just getting your ego self, uh, doing the, the, the work of psychology, doing the work of therapy, doing the work of dealing with your shadow, with your trauma, with your negative stories. And if you don't do the growing up, the waking up's going to be a disaster, okay? And we've really learned that, you know, from Western psychology, we're really good at the interior uh, uh, psychology, the psychology of the ego and, and the dynamics of the ego and, and, and repression and all kinds of really, really effective stuff. Now, in the East, they kind of, the ego does not exist, blah, 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 just go hang out and, you know, be in you know, Buddha nature, whatever. Well, either one of those things by themselves at least in the modern world, leads to just train wrecks, okay? So if you're just doing the ego stuff, but you don't have the transcendent deepening practice, you're the dog chasing its tail. And if you do all the, you know, you have all these great spiritual stuff, but you haven't done the, the shadow work and done your healing from your own stuff, the spiritual transmission will come through your, like, unhealed, whacked out ego, and you'll be a cult leader, or you'll start, you know, your ego and inflate, and you think you're it, or... And you are it, but not in that sense. And all it just pathology, pathology, pathology. So we really have to take the wisdom of of, of psychology with the wisdom of, of transcendent practice, along with the new technology that allows us all of us to democratize the process of deep contemplative practice, you know, really quickly and put that together in a thing that really freaking works. So, gentlemen, yeah, I'll dive in here, John. I really appreciate what you're saying. Uh, you know, when I work with clients uh, 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 in, in treatment centers, they'll ask me about my own recovery. And John, you mentioned, I think, in the last podcast that the typical trajectory is somebody begins to uh, uh, deal with uh, altering consciousness in adolescence and uh, kind of takes off from there. Most of the addicts I work with started using uh, even heavy drugs, age 13, 14, something like that. Yeah. And uh, that's the typical course. I know that statistically, I'm quite a deviant here, but I didn't get into uh, uh, drug use until I was in midlife. And there's some good news, bad news in this. And I think I'm kind of exhibit A of what you're just talking about is that I, I uh, studied psychology, got a doctorate in psychology, practiced as a licensed clinical psychologist for decades, taught psychology, um, supervised clinicians, et cetera, and loved it. And, uh, and the basis for a good bit of my psychology was rooted starting in graduate school in transpersonal psychology. I was very drawn to Wilbur early on, uh, the mystics. Um, I, I spent six years in postgraduate training in the Jung Institute. Very interested in Carl Jung's writings and so on. And there's not a thing that, that's wrong with that, except for the fact that it was lopsided for me and I was unawares of it. And so I was very oriented towards the spiritual end of the continuum, let's say. And even as a psychologist, that's what I taught. That's how I, that's how I, uh, that's how I worked with clients and so on primarily and uh, hit midlife and for lots of different reasons uh, that I won't go into now developed. Uh, there was a, there were a lot of um, disappointments and losses for me in midlife that really evoked 
unworked through stuff, shadow stuff from my uh, earliest development. And it just got evoked for me in midlife. I was kind of a star earlier on. And then I hit the wall and slid right down it. And so um, the work that I needed to do at that point, and this, and, and by the way, that's when my addiction arose, is that my addiction actually was an extension of my spirituality. It just felt like this is just more of good stuff. And, uh, and it ended up being medicinal. It was really a way to kind of numb out, to fade away and fix my, my trauma that had never been worked through. And so each one of us has our own course with this. John, you have yours. Doug, you have yours. Sure. The clients will be very interested. They go, wait, wait, wait. You didn't start using until you were in midlife. Wait, you didn't start. You, you were a psychologist. I actually worked with addicts in recovery, and then you started using? That's exactly my scenario, which is uh, only embarrassing if I, if I want to shame myself. It just happens to have been my fate. The, the key is whether I, I took up responsibility around this, and I did. And so in the last... 10 years, I've dedicated myself to my own recovery process. I can guarantee you when I work with addicts now that I'm speaking from a different place and they recognize this immediately, which is having had to deal with the shadow stuff that I had really put off. And so here's somebody in the field of psychology who didn't adequately address the growing up piece until I was ready to do that. And I had to hit bottom in addiction in order to be woken up enough to realize that I need to grow up now. I'll spend the rest of my life growing up, but I really get something that I didn't get before. So working through the effects of chronic developmental trauma, shame, all of that, that just, I waited until midlife. I'd like to help others that are, I'm working with clients in their 20s and 30s. If I can help them do what I didn't do, maybe it will stave off a similar fate. Anyway, I just want to toss that in as I'm kind of like exhibit A of what we're talking about. If you look up spiritual bypassing in Wikipedia, it shows my photograph. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, spiritual bypassing means you just want to jump into the light and not deal with all the yucky, painful stuff. And uh, Robert Augustus Masters uh, uh, wrote a wonderful book on that. And it's like, he said, he basically says any, any religion, anything, you know, any type of therapy, it just leads, you know, just disasters, the cults and all this stuff. And you just have to embrace, embrace the, uh, suffering and i i've told this story quite a few times that i was on a panel one time uh, about integral christianity and we were, uh, people were asking questions and somebody said what is god to you you know I'm like that's a really good question and there's this kind of transpersonal cliche well whatever can be named god is not god because god has got to be all beyond all concepts and all thoughts and all it's like oh okay so what's the answer well that's not helpful but anyway what came to me was um that God is the light in the darkness. And, and we all, just, it was one of those gathered moments like the quake. And that has really been um, my, uh, my experience that in the deepest depths of my suffering and my interior prayer and my interior uh, work, uh, it's where I, I find that. And it, it's not like a real easy process that I can just flip on and flip off, you know? And sometimes I've, the, the suffering got so, great i just feel like i'm absolutely dismantled and crushed and turned into nothingness it's like john is dead it's all gone there's just nothing the only reality is the pain and then at some point and this may be a long meditation it's like the, the sun begins to rise and in, in the morning you know we live out here in the big big sky country you start to see kind of the false dawn they call it you know like before the sun comes, you go, no, nah, it's not really getting light. It's just, I want it to get light. And then the light, I mean, it comes off every day. I mean, oh, okay, well, there it is. 
you know, and eventually it starts to, it starts to lift, you know, and the light starts, and it's like a fog begins to dissipate, and the light starts coming through the fog. And that's what it's not just like, ding, okay, I'm through it. No, but it seems to be this gradual, and then it's like, oh, there you are. And, uh, and you come back, I, I come back from these, these uh, experiences very, very purified, humble, grateful, connected, <sighs> you know. So I don't know what got, got me on that one. But we were talking John, about, yeah. John, John something came up for me just as you were talking about it around the dawn and so on. There's a passage out of Rumi where he says, uh, it's been inspiring to me when I've been in the, the deep, uh, the depths of all that we're talking about. He says, a prophet's soul is especially afflicted because it has to become so powerful. And that gives me courage when I'm down in the depths. It's like, this is, this is yeah. a burnishing that's going on yeah. that's necessary. And I must and, you, and you're not alone. I mean, this no. is what happens. This no. is what, and it's really helpful to know that. That's why yeah. it's great to read the mystics and stuff yeah. because so i mean when i had my well when i was my first one a kid i didn't but later on you know i'd gone to grad school and studied transpersonal psychology and really you know got into this and so when i started going through these transformations i well this is legitimate you know yeah. i hope i'm not psychotic this is what happens you know this is the dark night of the soul and this is what we have to embrace you know we have to go through that you know that death and rebirth and not just one it seems to go on and on you know like I do the St. Francis prayer, part of my uh, ongoing is, Lord, make me yeah. from me your peace. Where there's hatred, let me so love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is, anyway, I, I, it's easier for it to say it in my head. But in, yeah. the, in the last part of it goes, uh, because in dying, uh, that we are born to eternal life. And I've kind of adapted it. And I say, in dying again and again and again, mm-hmm. we are reborn into the light. You know, and it seems like this, this, death and rebirth process is just uh, kind of an ongoing process of the interior work. And then, you know, you get more familiar with it. It's not quite because, you know, you begin to have faith that behind in the darkness, you will find, you know, that this, as Rumi says, again, in, in the house guests, he says, you know, when these, these, these psychotic rage or suicidal stuff are all comes to your door, but hi, Bob, can I come in? You know, I say, yes, he let them in. And you honor them as a uh, 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 sacred guest because they're going to even and it said even if they completely rearrange all the furniture and do everything in your house, they bring wisdom from the world beyond. Mm-hmm. So when this negative and this painful stuff, we're really uh, we're really invited to embrace it. And you know, it may take some time to be able to just really be with that. You may just freak out, but even touching into it is progress. Holding it for a little while, you know, is it, just uh, we get better at it. No, we were going to talk about growing up. There's, there's in, the, in the Christian tradition, uh, in Christian theology, there's what's referred to as Christian triumphalism. <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, I really appreciated, Doug, you're setting the tone earlier in your comment about a more measured or tempered appreciation for meditation. And triumphalism in any, in any clothing would be my assuming that there's going to be a magic bullet in this technique or this, this methodology. It reminds me of, um, this is an arcane reference, but you guys will get it. Melanie Klein, who is a German psychoanalyst who uh, uh, moved to uh, England during the time of the Holocaust and was one of the pioneers in child psychoanalysis. She said there are basically two different positions in life, and I think about this not infrequently. The first position, she said, is where most of us hang out most of the time, 
She calls that the paranoid schizoid position. And it's not that complicated. Paranoid is that I just project out onto the world, whatever it is, you know, it really is paranoid. I'm projecting it out there. And schizoid is that I'm fundamentally detached from my life. That's all schizoid means to be detached. Most of us live our lives looking for Oz, uh, projecting it out there. Uh, what did, uh, what did uh, Ken call it? They're like immortality projects. We have all these things that we literally project out onto the world. It's been too many years, but he has a wonderful way of talking about how we do what, what Melanie Klein is talking about. And she says that the goal of psychotherapy, since we're talking about growth here, the goal of psychotherapy uh, isn't necessarily to resolve somebody's symptoms, is to go right to the core. In her view, the core of what brings most people into therapy is that they've lost hope in the paranoid schizoid position, and they don't have any alternative to that. And she says that brings in the second position, and the alternative to the paranoid schizoid, where I go around projecting onto you and then being disappointed and then getting pissed off and then rejecting you and then finding a new thing to project onto she says the alternative to that is what she calls, ironically, she calls it the depressive position. And John, you know about depression, and I do too, and I suspect you do too, Doug. She doesn't mean it the way that we've experienced depression. She really, it's really a synonym for grief. It means the capacity to drop down into godly sorrow mm -hmm. for our condition. This is Jesus standing outside of Jerusalem and weeping. And if we can drop into a place of holding our own, uh, Jung called it our bitter cup of grief. Uh, uh, if, if we are a bit a cup of wrath, excuse me, and what he meant by that was to grieve, is that if I can drop into that place, this is not triumphalism. This is something, John, you just talked about it this morning, is, is in your meditations and in all of our meditations, what will be revealed oftentimes are the cruelties, the suffering, the trauma, the yeah. loss, and this learning how with, the, with the, the support of the unconscious or of God, learning how to be with that, that develops uh, the kind of muscles that make a prophet a prophet. Um, and so I, I just, I, in the spirit of growing up, growing up, um, waking up uh, can be bliss and light, for sure. Yeah, that's, it's, it's fine to feel good and yeah. to have those experiences. They're yeah. really helpful. Growing that... up, to anchor those in a lifetime, you know, the, the, the Greeks had this, these two different notions of time. The first one we're well aware of, they call it chronos, and that's just, chronological clock time. The second one is Kairos, and Kairos is what we're talking about, is that you, you, you have an experience that transcends time. I wake up to Kairos. We don't have a good translation for that in, in American English. You might say it's like spiritual timelessness or something. Or the eternal present or something yeah, the, like that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's perfect. The eternal present. That's exactly it. Uh, Meister Eckhart called it the eternal now. That's exactly it. The trick is, how do we take that experience of the eternal now and move that into Kronos? How do I move that into day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, uh, flings and arrows and so on? That's the trick. And that really is what growing up is about, it seems like to me. And it's not as boring or uh, drudgery-like as it might sound. It's like, how do I carry those apparent offices together so that every moment is informed, ideally, by my relationship to the eternal now? Mm -hmm. That it means every moment, samsara, every bit of suffering needs to be informed by this, and you, there's no way out of samsara. So there's no magic bullet, is there, guys? <laughs> well, no, no, there's no, there's no way to avoid the darkness unless you really want to just suffer more. You know, the more you avoid and run, and the schizoid thing is just separating yourself, you know? It's like you're, you're scared to feel the pain of existence, the pain of your own body, the pain of your own, your, your own 
your own path and you become disconnected and, and it makes total sense. I mean, you know, unless you know better, I mean, it's a really, it's a really uh, a nice ego defense, but if at the point when we say we, we you know, we make that decision that we're going to grow up, you know, we're going to wake up, all that stuff has to be, you know, embraced little by little. You don't have to, you know, I don't know what God has for you or what, you know, your own, your own inner guide is going to do to you, but you don't have to get completely smashed your first outing. But, you know, maybe some of little Zoto, little Rinzai and, and uh, just sticking with it and, and uh, uh, kind of trusting the process. And the more you do that, the more you can, can trust the process. You know? And we do fall asleep sometimes, you know, and then we wake back up. One of the most helpful resources on this, I used to tell this to students in graduate schools, is that it's usually non-psychologists that write the most helpfully about psychology. Frankly, most psychology is boring, so technical, so scientific, so left brain. And if you think about it, human psychology is primarily a right brain to right brain. Phenomenon. Well, after you do your dissertation, you can't write anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's also awful. One of, the, one of the best resources I know in psychology that's not written by a psychologist is a Robert Bly's book, and you guys are probably familiar with it, A Little Book on the Human Shadow. And it's a little book on the human shadow. And one of the images that Robert shares in that book is how we have to eat our shadow. And it might be a very gradual kind of uh, metabolizing of the shadow, but that image sticks with, with, with me is that we, That's great. We, we, we have to eat the shadow. And as, as Eckhart Tolle, the spiritual writer, talks about it, I uh, can't remember exactly how he puts it, but it's like, uh, uh, just because I put the shadow out of my mind doesn't make it go away. It'll just manifest in the side door or the oh, back door. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Whatever you whatever you lock in the basement will come up in the right. kitchen right. or the right. front yard or you know right. through right. your bathtub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just... Freud called it the return of the repressed. And watch out. <laughs> that's right. It, it will return. So the idea of eating the shadow that's volitional. I'm going to choose to day by day. John, it's your practice. Doug, it's your practice. It's my practice. Day by day taking a bite of the shadow and beginning to incorporate that, literally incorporate that into our being. Yeah. And yeah, John, and, you and, were talking about uh, the heart intelligence and, yeah. and strengthening the heart intelligence earlier. And, and that's a powerful way to do that because the heart is the seat of courage. Eating your shadow is not an easy thing to do for an addict or alcoholic who's confronted with that and sees too much that they don't like. They're going to go right back to the drink and the drugs that will, in the long run, make it worse. Um, strengthening that intelligence with the heart, developing that compassion through your meditation practices yeah. is what allows you to really start the process of eating that shadow one bite at a time and continuing the daily practice of working with this to grow up. No, but the good news is, is that there's great energy in the shadow, you know, uh, Jung said that God comes through the rejected parts, you know, that yucky part of your psyche that you, mm -mm, I ain't going to open that door. No way. That's where tremendous uh, power will come through. And, and that in this darkness, it's just this, it's, it's like, you know, spiritual uranium ore or something, you know, it, it can, it can, there's tremendous, there's tremendous power in the shadow. And that's, that's the good news. Yeah. It's kind of yucky and kind of scary have to deal with all our stuff, our shame, our fear, you know, and I think one of the things about dealing with the shadows, you think you're going to get stuck in it, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, addicts too, you are, can really fall into that because addict is all about running away from undesired states. You don't want to be lonely. You don't want to be bored. You don't want to be coming off of drugs. You just want to stay in constant, you know, buzz mode, drunk mode, bliss mode. And you can't do that, but you keep trying to. 
And so you have to, it's, it's training yourself to realize that if you just instead of running from this and trying to control your state, so you're happy all the time, that's not what meditation is practice about, about accepting what, whatever is there with openness. And then that becomes the, these different states become a doorway to, to deep or deepening growth or higher growth or, or becoming our authentic selves and healing. I wonder what you guys think about uh, uh, this. I'd like to put it out to both of you. Is uh, uh, it, it came up for me, Doug, when you were speaking? You know that medical image of where you titrate a treatment. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of a bottle, an IV bottle, and you uh, you adjust the the strength of the solution coming into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you guys have any thoughts about titrating uh, this eating of the shadow? You know, because one of the fears is that I'll be overwhelmed by it, and I can be overwhelmed by it. And any words of help or support from your guys' own practice and experience around titrating this? Yeah, well, I don't think you have to, I'm going to do shadow work today. <clears throat> you need to hurt yourself, okay? Just surrender to the process. And when you're ready for it, you know, if you're a seven, God will probably be, passion, you know, compassionate. Okay. <laughs> this guy just wants to be happy. He doesn't want to eat this, uh, you know, nasty, awful, gross shadow sandwich today. <laughs> so I, I think there is there is some compassion. And you don't have to work it up. You know, it's not something you have to do. I mean, what what needs to come up when you get into this surrender state, once you get through your, I, I like to say it's like an archaeological dig, my meditation, I go through my first, blah, 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 blah. and sometimes I just fall right into it. But usually I go through some stuff till I get down to this place. And it, it'll come up when you're ready, you know. So just just say, you know, do the second person thing. And I say, God, please, you know, um, give me what I need to grow, but give it in a way that I can handle it. And you know me better than I know myself, and you know what I can handle give me the courage to do it. And there's just kind of an inner process that goes on and you don't have to force it. You don't have to manufacture mystical experiences. You don't have to do anything. You just have to surrender and, and practice and, 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 and do the work, you know, and it'll, it'll, it'll come around. When I first started doing shadow work, uh, had a very difficult time recognizing it in the first place. And that's one of the ways that all of this ties together because the meditation practice allowed me to recognize those shadow elements that were being hidden in the first place. Um, and so just recognizing those things as they appear then in your daily life, which is an avail- ability you develop through meditation, is a good way to just do a little bit at a time. Like you were saying, John, you don't have to sit down and say, all right, well, I'm doing my shadow work today. You just become more attuned to watching for those things as they show up. And then, of course, before you really try to go through processing it to the depth that you could the first step is to just accept it uh in in the sedona method which can be a pretty powerful way to work mm-hmm. with this stuff they start with step one is can i allow this feeling to be there mm-hmm. right first first you have to recognize it. i would add that as a preamble but then can i allow this feeling to be there and as you begin to get more comfortable with that step you can begin to work on the processing that leads to eventually freedom uh, it's like onions and ogres, one layer at a time. <laughs> ogres, I like that. Ogres, ogres. Ogres. <laughs> a Shrek reference there for you. Yeah, I, love, I, love, I love Shrek. Yeah, you remind me, uh, uh, John, when you were speaking about this, uh, Jung had a couple of things, this, Carl Jung had a couple of things to say about the unconscious. One is that um, uh, it's not conscious. That's why they call it unconscious. Uh-huh. So, so people will assume that they can talk, you know, that, that they have access to the unconscious. It really requires dedicated practice because mm-hmm. it is, after all, not accessible to consciousness. And there's another piece, and, and you talked about this in terms of energies. I liked how you talked about it, John. 
is that Jung talked about the relationship of the ego to the unconscious is uh, perfectly analogous to the relationship to a cork floating on the Pacific Ocean. The cork is floating on the Pacific Ocean. My own sense of it is that cork is exceedingly important. <laughs> but in terms of its relationship to the unconscious, that's what it's up against. So part of what we're talking about is I've got to deal with the personal unconscious, particularly that which has been traumatic uh, or, or, let's say, uh, severely unpleasant or whatever you want to call that. I've got to deal with that shadowy stuff uh, in order to access the rest of the unconscious. And he called that the collective unconscious. And that's the repository of spiritual depth, of creative inspiration, and so on. So the tricky thing is, if, well, it's not even tricky. The, the deal we make with the devil is I'll just cut all that shit off. I'll just cut off all the shadow stuff. And the deal that we make there is that we cut off access then to all of the, the resources available to the creative collective unconscious. But you don't get there without going through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, one thing in this work is trauma work or shadow work is that, and, and the, the, the technology, the binaural, the brain entrainment technology really helps us, is that it has to be really uh, somatically yeah. uh, anchored. Okay, yeah. so when you're feeling grief, you know, it's like you can have the story. This is when my dog got ran over, or, you know, blah, 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 whatever the, the tragic event was. And, you know, you keep up with the thoughts and everything. And, okay, well, that's the story. Now let's go back. What do you feel in your heart? You know, you feel the pain, you, the, you know, and you just stay with that. And after a while, just let, let, let the um, story go or the thoughts around it because that will just keep you spinning and just stay with the embodied thing. And, and often it will intensify. And that's where the witness really comes in, the observer self, you know, you can kind of, hey, I'm suffering, I'm going through this, but I, I, at the same time, I can step outside of myself and watch this, not dissociating, but allowing it just to fully express itself. And then it comes and it does its thing. And then you may be a lot better or maybe a little better. You've made some movement. Sometimes these things take, you know, time and effort and, and grace and, and dumb luck and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, has to, it has to be down in the body. And the it's not all, you know, dark demons. I, I wrote a, uh, for a wilderness program, the thing, and teaching teenagers, and we talk about the dark dragons, but there's also the light dragons. Yes. There's also the essential gifts and groovy things and the talents, unexpressed talents and ideas and creativity that we haven't expressed, that addiction also gets in, you know, totally screws up, that you really need to bring forth to be a healthy person too. So not only is it just so... I'm dealing with my trauma and all this stuff. It's also, oh my God, you know, this is this thing that I have to give. Then you can get really freaked out. Oh, I'm not smart. I'm not good enough. And go through all that process. And then you just kind of, you know, trust the process and say, hey, here it am. And what, what do I have to do? You know, given, given this thing I've been given, what do I got to do? Well, you probably got to really work hard. To, you know, if it's going to write the great American novel or the great American album or whatever, whatever it is, you know, being a great parent or you just have to work and practice and practice practice and bring it forth and if you do there's a tremendous uh, sense of uh, satisfaction and joy and peace when you know you're really giving the stuff that you were born uh, uniquely to give into the world and and that ain't always easy but man it's essential and it's also pretty glorious if if we if we don't run from it we embrace it and do what we have to do to bring it forth i think we all have more golden shadow than we think we do I love that terminology, by the way, golden shadow and the golden dragon. We see these people and we say, they're so talented. I could never be that. Such a good writer. I could never be that. Such a good musician. That's not me. That's them. I'm, I'm projecting all of these beautiful gifts onto somebody else. And everyone, 
everyone has more of that than they give themselves credit for if you allow it to come through and manifest itself in that way. So it's beautiful to look at. Jung, Jung had a couple of ways of talking about this, you guys, that I really like. It's really related to this idea of golden shadow. He talked about, uh, he, Jung was the one that introduced the idea of shadow into uh, psychology back in the early 1900s. And, and typically that was associated with what we're talking about. It'd be like a negative, a traumatic shadow. But he also wrote articulately about what you just talked about, Doug. And he, he talked about, he called it the positive shadow. It's like, John, it's what you're talking about. All the stuff that we split off in terms of our potentialities and so on. He also wrote about inflation, you know, how it is that we can become inflated. And if you think of inflation, typically the way you think about it would be towards the kind of the grandiose or the narcissistic end. It's like that person is very inflated, very full of himself or full of herself. But Jung also uh, felt like that there's what he referred to as negative inflation. And that would be what you just talked about, Doug. Negative inflation is that I'm, I'm, I'm the inflation to presume that God can't have God's way with me. <laughs> you know, aren't I so bad? And that itself is an is a inflation. And it kind of passes, in some cases it can pass as, well, isn't Bob a humble person? No, Bob's full of shit because that's the negative <laughs> inflation. Is what yeah, like is. I'm the most fucked up person ever yeah. since fucked up people were invented. And I'm just like, and nobody's ever going to suck because I'm yeah. so fucked up, you know. <laughs> and if you're like a four on the Enneagram, you kind of, Gruba, yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I'm unique in my fucked upness. <laughs> you think you're fucked up? Ooh, I'm really fucked up, you know. And it's yeah, it's the other side of that coin. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, all you fours. No, that's you exactly guys right. Up. It is. It is the other side of that coin. It's still an ego thing. It's not what we yeah, normally is. think that's of when part. we think that's of part. ego here, but it's still an yeah. ego issue. And so, shadow work allows you to process that and move forward with it. Or put it in music or write put it in your novels. I mean, you know, Doug, you're a writer. I'm a writer. I'm also a musician. I play the blues. Man, what a, I, I was, oh, I, a couple of days ago, I was doing the uh, teleseminar for um, I Awake. We do a weekly thing. We're going to turn that into a podcast soon. And uh, somebody asked me, well, what's your superhero power? And I guess that's kind of a pop question. I think I've heard that someplace. I don't know. My superhero power. You know, because we're talking about all this stuff and meditation. I, and, I, and it came really clearly. Practice. I get practice. You know, I get that. I don't get that I'm the best or natural abilities and everything. I really understand the discipline of practice that I learned from my meditation, that I learned from working out, that I learned from struggling with my tennis game, that I learned from uh, learning to play uh, electric blues guitar, which I've been working on for the last six years. And, you know, and, and, I, and I've loved that because, you know, integral practice, uh, the recovery is a practice, and we'll, we'll delineate what that looks like more and more as we go on. But there's all these books, The Talent Code, Talent is Overrated, Mastery by George Leonard. And they're just saying, you know, if you want greatness in whatever, where you want spiritual greatness, you got to do the work and put the time in, you know, use the right tools and use the right practice and just do the darn thing. And, <laughs> and you know, if you want to get strong, you know, okay, like Arnold, I'd like to be like Arnold. Well, get to the gym and start throwing some iron around, you know, and you want to be a musician, pick up. Start learning the court, start learning the scales, put your one or two or three hours, whatever time you have, have, and you will start getting so much better than you thought you could ever be. And maybe you'll never be great, but you'll be pretty damn good. Or maybe you will be great, but it's equal to the time and the dedication you're willing to put into it. So if you want, you know, I want to stop taking drugs, you know, it's like, uh, it's bummer to myself. Everybody hates me. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we'll start working on it, you know, and if you, 
and if you're you don't have that kind of discipline and 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 stuff in the beginning then get some egos around you that can support you you know get coaches and get therapy and get a group and get the human community you need to get you through the phase where you're you know you are a practitioner you get it and nothing's going to stop you and then some really wonderful things start happening it completely changes the story that you know michael jordan came out of the wound and you know he hit a three pointer you know off the off the hospital bed and you know jimmy hendrix just came out and he did all these guys, all the great ones, Bruce Lee, I mean, you name it. They put in the time, they put in the hours, they knew it. And we're, we're, we're challenging not just to be a great basketball player or a great musician, but become a great human being. And you got to work all the necessary parts. You got to work the mind. You got to work the emotions in the shadow. You got to have a strong, vital body and you got to do the spiritual work. And you have to put that together in a burrito and just, you know, eat that for the rest of your life. And uh, then you can take all of the, all of that, that, that foundational awakeness and vitality and intelligence and sort of faith that I can be better than I think. And then you can put it into your writing or you can put it into your music or you can put it into your, to carry your children or your relationship or whatever, but it takes work and courage. And you have to, you know, and you have to push yourself beyond your comfort zone into that sweet spot where transformation starts to happen. So it can't be just, well, I went to the gym today and I sat there and I checked my emails and I checked it for a while. <laughs> Not going to do it. You know, and having having the, the gym membership in your wallet, that's not going to do it either. You have to go and do the work. And once you get that, there's tremendous hope and freedom that if I really work hard and dedicatedly on whatever it is that I want to do, I can just get better than I've ever dreamed possible. So, so then challenging me, he said, you're always talking about your blues guitar. Why don't you, why don't you play something? So next week on the teleseminar, I'm going to whip out the old guitar and, and show them the, hey, what hey, I've achieved. John, let me share a blues quote. You'll appreciate this. I've shared it with you before. One of the more inspiring books on recovery I read in the last uh, yeah, years is the uh, biography of Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> yeah, you, you gave me the book. I'm reading. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, in the book, they talk about how he, he'd perform all night. Then he'd go to bed and he'd keep practicing. He'd be laying in bed practicing, go to sleep with his guitar across his chest and Somebody asked him, he said, Stevie Ray, you know, you're a master of the instrument. Why do you practice all the time? And he said this, um, uh, I practice in order to reduce the friction between my fingertips and God. <laughs> Damn, that's a good answer. <laughs> Isn't that a good, Isn't that, that's really what we're talking about, man. <laughs> reduce the finger friction between our fingertips and God. That's why we practice. That's why you lift. That's why you practice. Little victories. You lift just a little bit more weight than you lifted last time. You do yeah. one more rep. You play yeah. your scales just a little bit faster. Yeah. Those little victories can become so meaningful and so encouraging yeah. for people in early recovery, especially in health for everybody, no matter where you are. Sometimes you need that encouragement to keep you on the path to get you what you need to keep moving forward. And so those little things are well worth pursuing if well for no other reason than the feeling it gives you to move forward. Yeah. Well, and, and it, and it gets more fun the longer you stay with it. You know, it's much cooler, you know, playing like Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton or Stevie Ray or, uh, you know, all these great guitarists that I've been studying. And sometimes I get in the zone and I just go crazy. It just comes through. Then it is. Okay. This is the D chord. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a chord. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to go through that, you know, that beginning stage. And, and often you can tell when, especially with guitar, they get the eye of the tiger, you know, it's like, give me that guitar. And they suck. 
they can't play anything, but they just keep at it, you know. And um, uh, and you know they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a great guitar player because they have the passion and the fire. And so, and and what do we have to do to get the passion and fire? Well, sometimes we have to meditate and realize why we're doing it. You know, one of the things I do when I go to the gym or any practice that this is what I'm dedicating my practice to. You know, and that can change over time. It could be I'm just, you know, I messed up my family so bad with all my, you know, addictive bullshit. I I just want to do this practice so I can say I'm sorry and, you know, show up and be back in their lives in a good way. And that's a really noble thing. And then that may move on to other things, too. And you just stay with that. But you dedicate your practice to your your highest good, you know, what you really think matters. And uh, that that informs it. Uh, with a little bit of purpose and meaning and nobility. So it doesn't just become some narcissistic trip, you know, which it can be, but you'll go through it if you keep practicing. Okay. Well, look, this has been so fun. I love hanging out with my brothers here and, and, and doing this stuff. And hopefully this is really helpful for you guys. So keep showing up, uh, let your friends know about it. If you think it's useful and uh, yeah, you can download it on iTunes, right? The, the audio, then you can go to our, our YouTube channel, which is called what's our channel called. I'm sorry, Integral Recovery Institute. Okay. And yeah, subscribe there on YouTube. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, please, if you go to iTunes especially, leave us a rating, leave us uh, a review on there. It does so much to help spread the word about this thing and get other people involved in the community so that we can all move forward together. Okay. Great. Good job, you guys. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. God bless. Okay. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.